Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, good morning and welcome to FaithBridge. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us on this third Sunday of Advent. Today we're going to be in two different books of the Bible, both in the New Testament, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Uh, You can find those toward the beginning of the New Testament. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers are coming down the aisle and uh, please take it and consider that an early Christmas gift from us to you. We are glad to give you the Word of God and uh, hope and pray it will be something that you'll be using a lot in the year to come. Before we jump into the message, let's take a moment and pray together. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to gather in your house and celebrate the coming of your son. Thank you for the gift of Christmas, for the joy that it brings into our lives, the opportunities that we have to love one another, to be with our families, to be generous, to celebrate. We pray now that as we turn our attention to a portion of your word, speaking of Christmas, that your Holy Spirit would come and be our teacher and guide us into all truth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Jesus has a way of turning everything on its head. He simply refuses to settle for the status quo. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He's forever trying to upset things. You might even go so far as to call him a bit of a troublemaker. And we see this confounding characteristic of his from the very beginning, even stretching back to before he was born. Listen to several different passages that I'm going to read for you. And perhaps listen to them for the first time if you can, this time with an ear toward just how capable Jesus was of upsetting the apple cart. To begin with, even before he was born, he managed to make life terribly, terribly difficult for his mother. In Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 28, the angel went to her, Mary, And said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled. Greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God." He didn't make things uh, particularly easy for his earthly father either. Joseph, we read 
about his story in Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. Mary has disclosed to him that she is with child. And Joseph, of course, is fully aware that they have not had marital relations up to this point. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." The troublemaking did not stop there. Jesus could not have picked a more inopportune time for his arrival. As you probably are aware, his mom and dad were traveling and as things turned out, Jesus was born in a cave. Adam shared with us last week the most you know, inhospitable of environments to give birth. But there he comes at exactly the wrong time in exactly the wrong circumstances. And innocent bystanders were swept up in the whole thing as well. We read in Luke chapter two, beginning in verse eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. You might say they were just minding their own business. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good, no good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And like an earthquake rippling out from its epicenter, the troublemaking of Jesus then spread to all the world. Certainly to all the world of that time. We read in Matthew chapter two, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now for many of us, uh, these stories perhaps don't even so much as raise an eyebrow. They are so familiar to us. We've heard them so many times. But try to put yourself in the shoes of those who were experiencing these things, the, one who, the ones who actually went through what we just read. Can you imagine how incredibly upsetting the whole thing must have been for Mary and for Joseph and the shepherds and all of the people of Jerusalem? Things were happening that weren't supposed to happen. Jesus didn't do anything the way he was supposed to. He was announced as the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, the one who would come and deliver his people. But he didn't come like a Messiah. You see, the Messiah was the one who would deliver the nation of Israel from their Roman oppressors, who would restore the nation of Israel to worldwide prominence. Messiahs are not supposed to be born in caves. That's not the way that works. The birth of the Messiah was not to be announced to shepherds, those who occupied the lowest rung of the social ladder. 
Jesus is doing everything the wrong way, certainly not the way anyone anticipated that the Savior, the Messiah, would come. He redefined the notion of Messiah. He redefined the notion of Savior. He redefined the notion of good news. Gospel, the angels called it, as they announced his arrival to the shepherds. Jesus turned all of this on its head. And as we think about these things, the natural question to ask is, why? Why did Jesus have to complicate things so much? Why couldn't he just follow the script? Why did he have to go and do things in ways that no one anticipated, no one expected? Well, the simple answer is, he did it for you. And for me. He came as a savior. But he didn't come just to save the nation of Israel. No, uh, we had much bigger problems on our hands as a human race than the nation of Israel being restored. We had much, much bigger problems. But we didn't understand it. You see, the world back then, just as the world is today, was a broken world, a fallen world, a world that had separated itself from God. But it wasn't always that way. No, there was a time, way, way, way back at the beginning, we read in the book of Genesis, when everything was just as it was supposed to be. God created everything a good world. The scriptures say it was all good. It was perfect. The perfect environment for humanity. And he placed a man and a woman there and gave them every opportunity to enjoy the perfection of his creation, to enjoy one another, to enjoy all that God had created, to enjoy fellowship and relationship with him. And he really just put one condition on the whole thing. He said, listen, I've made this for you and I want you to enjoy it and I want you to enjoy each other and enjoy me. But there's just one thing I need you to do. I need you to stay connected to me. I am the source of life. I am the reason that you are here. But if you turn your back on me, if you choose to go your own way, if you disconnect yourself from me, you have disconnected yourself from life and you will die. So please, please stay in relationship with me that you might live. And for a time, we're not told exactly how long, Adam and Eve managed to do this. But there came a day, a fateful day, when they each decided, you know, I think I know better. Yeah, God's got this pretty good deal going, but I think I know better. I think I will go my own way. And they did. They walked away from their creator. And the consequence came just as God said it would. Death entered the human race. The perfect creation fell and was broken And no longer was humanity enjoying unbroken fellowship with God, the creator, the source of life. That breaking away, that disconnecting, that decision 
that Adam and Eve thought they knew best, that's called sin. That kind of behavior, asserting oneself in the face of the Almighty is called sin. And it would be easy to pin the blame entirely on Adam and Eve and say, well, you know, if those two had just not blown it, man, would things be different today. But here's the fact of the matter, friends. We've all gone our own way. We have all chosen to sin. We have all separated ourselves from God. We have all consciously, willingly stepped into the consequence of death. And death faces all of us because we have chosen to sin. And here's the really sneaky thing about sin. Most of us, I think, would acknowledge its reality. I mean, evil is present all around us and fairly recognizable. We can see it all around us, but we are loath to see it in ourselves. For some strange reason, we want to exclude ourselves from culpability. We don't like to take responsibility for the things that we've done wrong. We don't like to be blamed. It's almost inherent in the human condition that we want to separate ourselves from anything that has gone wrong. And we deceive ourselves into thinking that somehow we are different, we are special, but nothing could be further from the truth. The scriptures are clear that each and every one of us have walked away from God and each and every one of us are facing the consequence of death. It doesn't matter how many good things that we've done. It doesn't matter how generous we've been. It doesn't matter how many bad things we have not done. It doesn't even matter if we are a pastor. None of that matters. Some years ago, I was leading a mission trip overseas, and as it turned out, this particular flight was completely full. And if you travel much, you know that when a flight is completely full, that precious commodity known as overhead bin space is rare, it's scarce. And you can tell even there in the waiting area how antsy and eager people are to get on so that they can store their stuff. Well, finally, my section was called and I make my way onto the plane managed to walk past the sneering stares of those in first class who seem to despise those of us who live in economy. <laughs> and I joined the lowing herd at the back of the plane. And when I got to my seat, I was thrilled to look up and see right above my seat, there was space. And as I was reaching down to grab my bag, a man, two people behind me, lunged forward, I mean, pushed his way forward over these two little ladies and threw his bag into the space. It took me half a second to kind of realize what had happened, but when I became fully aware, I wanted to take that man's life. And he could see the rage welling up within me. And so he got right in my face, I mean nose to nose, and he dared me to lay a hand on his bag. 
Have you ever noticed how in those moments, which typically last just a few moments, a thousand scenarios can pass through our mind? I thought of hundreds of things that I wanted to say, none of them typically associated with a pastor. I thought of cruel things I wanted to do to make this man suffer. By the grace of God, I remembered who I was, a pastor. And I remembered why I was on that airplane, a mission trip. And so outwardly, I said nothing, and I did nothing. My bag was taken and was checked and put underneath. Inwardly, however, for the next 30 minutes, I thought of every horrible, cruel, wicked thing I could do to that person. But then the absurdity of it all hit me. I'm filled with rage, hatred, anger toward this person over a bag. The Holy Spirit was convicting me. And I tried to rationalize and justify and yeah, but he did this and but it, you know, you never win an argument with God. And I fin finally had to own, yeah. I've sinned. Maybe not so the whole world can see, but sin is in my heart. It's black with hatred and anger. I am culpable. I'm guilty of sin. And you are too. We all have turned our backs on God. We have all disconnected ourselves from him. And we have all engaged in sin, thereby rendering ourselves guilty and facing the consequence of death. And here's the unfortunate thing about death. It's permanent. And there is not one single thing that you or I can do about it. We are utterly helpless in the face of death. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I imagine some of you right about now are thinking, wow, well, good gracious, Dan, what an uplifting Christmas message this is. I'm so glad I brought my friend today. Why can't you talk about something happy? I mean, isn't Christmas supposed to be happy? Isn't it supposed to be something that we celebrate? But listen, stick with me here. Death is the reason that Christmas is worth celebrating. Or more accurately, I should say, the destruction of death is the reason Christmas is worth celebrating. The reason Jesus came, the reason he did what he did, in the way that he did it, was to rescue you and me from the consequence of death. 
We didn't need a savior who would come and deliver Israel. We didn't need a savior who would live a normal happy life in a palace and then die and go back to heaven. No, we needed a savior who would come to earth, who would identify with us, who would walk among us, who would be God in the flesh and would ultimately take our sins upon himself to the cross, dying in our place and then being raised to new life, leading those of us who would follow him into eternal life. That's why Christmas is worth celebrating. If that isn't enough to celebrate, then I don't know what is. You and I were doomed and we were set free. You and I were bound for an eternity apart from God and we were restored. And we've been given the opportunity to step back into the reality that God intended from the very start. He did not leave us to our own devices. No, he chose to walk among us and provide a way out of no way for you and for me. That is why we celebrate Christmas. And I'm sure you can appreciate how wonderful it is to be saved from death. When I was in college, not far from our campus was a pond, and from time to time, we would go swim there. And I remember one beautiful spring afternoon, a group of us went, a group of guys went, and we were on the dock that jutted out into the deepest part of the pond. And uh, boys will be boys, before you know it, we're in this big wrestling match and rough housing and all this kind of thing, and about eight of us tumbled right over into the water. And of course, you know, we're all jostling to try to get back up on the dock to see who else we can push off. What I did not know but became quickly aware of was that a classmate of mine did not know how to swim. And in his terror, he was doing everything he could to keep his head above water, up to and including using me as a flotation device and holding my head underwater. And the seconds seemed like hours. I could not get away from him. And for a moment, I thought, this is it. I'm going to meet my maker. When suddenly, someone grabbed my arm like a vice and shoved me to the surface where I thankfully gasped all the air I possibly could. It was my roommate. He had remained on the dock And he saw what was happening and jumped in and saved me. I seriously doubt, had he not done that, would I be here today? Jesus jumped into our mess. Jesus jumped into the mess that we created. The death that we brought upon ourselves. And he saved us. He has delivered us. He has provided a way out of no way. He completely redefined death. But that's not all. Not only did he redefine death, Jesus redefined life. He's not only saved us to an awesome future with God Almighty throughout eternity, he's brought life to us today. 
And he offers life to us today. Eternal life isn't for the hereafter. It's for the here and now. And he's created a a way for you and for me to know the living God today, now, to be in a relationship with God. He's created a way for us to find victory over the sin that would destroy us and our relationships and our lives. He's brought to us strength and hope and perseverance in seasons of suffering and pain, things that this world could never offer. He wants to infuse meaning and purpose into our lives to let us know we're not here by accident. It's not some afterthought. It's not some happenstance conglomeration of molecules. No, we are here because a loving God placed us here for a reason. And Jesus wants to reveal that to us. Jesus wants to invite us to join him in redefining reality. But above all of that, more than anything else, Jesus just wants you to know how much he loves you and how desperately he desires to receive your love in return. Today, a a table is set before us. And you know, it's a table that Jesus set. And he set it for us for two reasons at least. One, of course, is to be a reminder of what he did for us on that cross. Reminding us that there was a price to be paid for life. And it was his broken body. It's a reminder that his blood was shed for you and for me, for the forgiveness of our sins. But it's not just a reminder. Now, it's an invitation. It's an invitation of love. He's desirous that we come to his table to be in fellowship with him here and now to step out of death and into life. Some of you today will come to this table for the umpteenth time. But I hope that today you'll come with a renewed sense of joy and celebration in your heart for what he's done for you and for the gift of life he's imparted to you. Some of you will be coming to this table for the first time perhaps the first time with a new understanding anyway. And if that is you, I want you to know you're not here by accident today. You're here because God loves you enough to draw you to himself. He's inviting you to his table and he's wanting you to know he loves you, he forgives you. And Christmas is all about imparting his life to you. In just a moment, the ushers are going to guide us to this table of celebration. And as you come, you're invited to take one of the, one of the crackers there. They are, are gluten-free. Dip it in the cup and then partake. If you need to stay and pray for a moment, you're welcome to do that. 
on the stairs or if you'd like to return to your seat, you can do that as well. We're going to ask that you maintain a spirit of worship and not begin to leave and not begin conversation, but to join and to be a part of the good news that was proclaimed, good news of great joy for all the people. Let's pray. Father, no matter how many times we tell it, no matter how many times we hear it, it never gets old. There is something continually renewing about the gospel. That once we were lost, but now we are found. Once we were blind, but now we see. Once we were dead, but now we are alive. And all of that is possible only because you came. You didn't come as one who was elite and separated. You didn't come as one who couldn't identify with us. No, you came as lowly as one could come to let us know you came for everybody. And the offer of life is extended to everybody. I pray that as we come to this table, our hearts would be open to whatever it is you want to do. If you simply want to sing over us and celebrate us, Lord, we receive it. Lord, if you want to teach us something, our hearts are open. If you want to be in relationship with us for the very first time, we're open for that too. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for Christmas. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen and amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Louie and Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Pastor Dan, who just brought a Christmas message called This Changes Everything. Welcome, Thank Dan. You. Yeah, and you're right. Jesus does change everything. He sure does. And I love how you talked about how Jesus just turns everything um, not only upside down, but back the right mm-hmm. way by coming. Um, you talked about how unexpected. Uh, Jesus was just in the way Mary was pregnant and Joseph and all the things. Um, We did have a couple, we had a question come in. Okay. Um, One of the questions was, so you told the story about being on the airline and pinning up your bag, which I love because we can all relate to those moments. Um, And the man who sort of kind of trumped you and took the space. Uh, The question was, do you think that that man uh, could have been an angel? Well, Uh, I'm not going to say absolutely yes or no, either one. Um, Scripture doesn't teach us a lot about angels specifically. There's a lot of uh, anecdotal data in there, so to speak, but not a lot of uh, teaching regarding angels. So is it conceivable it could have been an angel trying to teach me something? I I suppose so. Mm 
Uh, if I were a betting man, I would say probably not because he was a, a pretty mean guy. <laughs> it wasn't like he was trying to teach me something. He, he was angry. Mm -hmm. um, that just doesn't seem real angelic to me. Well, so, yeah, interesting to think about. That's my take. That's yeah. for sure. Um, the other question I wanted to ask is you talked a lot about how um, Jesus came not just to um, for us to overcome death mm -hmm. and to receive eternal life, but for our lives right here, right now. Um, and you talked about the passage uh, where it says that he comes to give us abundant life. And I think you, you hear that and you think, what does abundant life mean? Does it mean that like I'm gonna have what I want, and I'm not gonna run out of money, and I'm gonna have resources and houses? But what is Jesus talking about when you say like, oh, Jesus came to give me give me this abundant life? It's always struck me as um, odd, curious, that when we human beings uh, talk about abundant or mm -hmm. eternal life, we want to associate temporal things mm. with it. Mm -hmm. Things like money mm -hmm. or good health or being free from worry or, you know, these things that are really only going to be a part of this existence. Mm. We get it in our heads that those are eternal or they somehow constitute eternal life. Um, I don't think so. I think the kind of life that Jesus is referring to when he promises abundant life is first and foremost, a life that is rooted in a relationship with Him, the mm -hmm. source of life, that uh, enables us to um, experience uh, life and appreciate the things that are going to last. Love, mm -hmm. joy, mm -hmm. peace, patience. You know, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the importance of healthy, God-honoring relationships, uh, a heart that is pure and wants to worship God and wants to know God. I think these are the things that Jesus wants to impart to us. Our society just doesn't attach a lot of value to yeah. those. So we naturally think, oh, well, abundance is stuff. But I, I don't think that's what Jesus is about there. I think he's about calling us to a higher plane of living that if we will give a chance, if we will explore, we will come to see far exceeds anything that this world has to offer. Yeah, that's good. Cause I, I do think we, we associate it with that. And uh, in the message you talked about um, just how Jesus coming as we approach Christmas Eve or approach Christmas this week, that um, there, were, there were quite a few things that you listed off that he came for, yeah. uh, for us to know him and mm -hmm. to have purpose and meaning um, and to draw into this relationship. And then that's where the abundance is found. Abundance is found. Yeah, so this is a, it's a good message to think about as we approach Christmas Eve, like Thank just you. the powerful impact of Jesus coming on our lives. Amen. Yeah. So thank you for the message today. Thank sure. you for joining us here for Postscript. We won't have Postscript next week for Christmas Eve, but we'll be back here December 31st for Duffy Robbins. Hope you'll join us back then. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.